Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. So Alyssa, you and I have had some kind of like dark times during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Of some times of pessimism, some times of guarded optimism. But this week we got some really good news. And that was that President Joe Biden announced that we're going to have enough vaccine doses for the entire U.S. population by the end of May. So my question for you is, on a scale of one to ten, how optimistic are you feeling about COVID this week? Six and a half, seven. Okay. Explain. Six and a half, seven. One, because I'm very excited about that news, of course. Um, Though also need to know that they'll have enough doses. They won't be in people's arms by then. We are having a slight uptick in deaths and daily COVID cases have plateaued at what was the spike level last summer. So I really need people. Hello, Governor Abbott of Texas, you motherfucker, to... Like, really, I'm worried that people are going to let up, that the variants are going to keep mutating, that the vaccine won't work. So I just really, I'm so excited about the news, but I just need everyone to keep their mask on Mm -hmm. and, like, hold tight. Mm -hmm. That's my, I'm, like, so excited about the news, but then I feel like fucking Debbie Downer when people are talking about it. And I'm like, wah, wah, but don't forget, we, like, we need people, like, for Texas to go completely open and no mask mandate is like, what are you doing? Houston is literally the only city with all the variants. Yeah. So that's why that's why I can't be higher than a six and a half or seven, even though I want to be. Okay, I think I'm about right there, but I really okay. want to, I want to, I want to uh, revisit the uh, Greg Abbott thing. Here's something that I, you know, I, I had an inkling for a while, but this week has really solidified this impression that I've had of, of Greg Abbott. The bitch can't govern. He is a the bitch, bitch can't, can't govern. govern. He's a real shitty. He is just. He cannot run a state. He has, like, he has uh, conflated. He's fallen for the big, fallen for the big conservative lie that doing nothing is somehow an innovation in leadership. He just can't. He the bitch can't govern. He can't. And also, guess what? Do you think we're all so stupid that we don't know? You literally have fucked up your state and you had one of the biggest disasters. People are getting electric bills for five and six thousand dollars for days worth of electricity because of how fucked up your grid is. And like you think that you, we don't know this is some sort of like smoke and mirrors obfuscation. Like, oh, yeah. you're all real mad at me, but I'm opening up the salon. Yeah. <laughs> like, get out of here. This is what happens when you vote for a bitch who can't govern. This week, we're joined by Virginia gubernatorial candidates Jennifer McClellan and Jennifer Carroll Foy, Priyanka Arabindi, and Michaela Watkins to tackle the following questions. Can Virginia and America's 244-year history of never having a black female governor? How has the pandemic impacted the way we think about money? Can money and friendship mix? Why does Alyssa have a bone to pick with headlights? All this and more right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. News continues to happen, and we're going to talk about some of it right now. Alyssa, 
It's Aaron. happening in your state. It's happening in your state again this week. The news. What a situation we have here in New York. You I, do seem to have a situation. I have um, to say, I think far fewer people are homosexuals these days than they were in the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, a lot more people who have homophobia. I would say homophobia is rampant here in New York, as you, you know. Can you kind of explain... What's going on with Andrew Cuomo? Well, Aaron, as folks know at this point, uh, he has been accused uh, by two women who worked with him at some point of unwanted advances, bad touching, very bad taste in jokes that he says uh, now that he's forced to release a statement. He meant to be playful. See my air quotes. Playful. Um, Mm. so things have gotten real here in New York and people are asking for, uh, independent investigations. Democrats and Republicans are asking for Cuomo to step down or to be impeached. It is again up to our savior here in New York state, uh, Letitia James, the attorney general, when asked for an investigation, Cuomo was like, I've got this covered. I've got the perfect person to conduct this investigation. And Democrats and Republicans alike were like, hell no, you will refer this over to the AG. Tish James was like, you will not be picking your own investigator. And so uh, she is now in charge of investigating uh, two claims by former government employees and a woman who was at a wedding with him where uh, he touched her face and asked if he could kiss her while touching the low of her back. And when she moved his hand from up above her buttocks, he was like, why are you so aggressive? Um, Not great. Not great. This is potentially the only thing that could loosely unite Elise Stefanik and AOC. (laughs) (laughs) I know, really? That is, uh, wow. My head just exploded imagining them on the same team of anything. You know, if I were a male politician, if I were a man and I was a politician Mm -hmm. who had worked his entire career to become governor of one of the country's most populous states, I would simply not be a creep. That would be my, that's my tip. It's seeming harder and harder for people to not be creeps or to understand what being a creep is. I mean, on the one hand, I do not mean I am not making light of this. Uh, every, the Several of the allegations are pure abuse of power uh, allegations and also some just uh, some real fucking creepiness. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like men should look in the mirror when they're going to say, I don't know, are you uncomfortable? And when someone says yes, kind of know they're being creepy. <laughs> Right. Instead of being like, so I can't hug women anymore. It's like, yeah, because we didn't ever like it. Never. You're mad because now we're just telling you that we didn't like it. No, we've never liked it. We've we've literally never liked it. Never. Never. You know, Cuomo's behavior with women or the three women who have like come forward to talk about him being creepy um, has brought up in my brain, at least, the fact that Cuomo has been kind of a bully and a jerk with other people in a not sexual context. And I'm not minimizing the unique way that feeling uh, sexually harassed or having a, a creepy experience with a man with more power than you feels for a woman. But, you know, what is do you think that maybe the fact that that Cuomo was a bully to people in a non-sexual way should have maybe portended what we're seeing now? I mean, look, everything that was ever reported that people talked about, that people knew about Harvey Weinstein is that he was a bully. 
everybody always said that. And so where there is smoke, there, I think, is usually some fire. And let us not forget that what precipitated so much of the um, fallout in the past couple of weeks was that when Cuomo met with uh, Democratic Assembly members and told them this all sort of started with the mm -hmm. uh, nursing home deaths. And when Cuomo said, you know, this is what we had to do. We had to report them differently. It was because Trump was going to take away all of our funding, blah, blah, blah. That's actually, honestly, I kind of get that. Like I do. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that that was like on behalf of the people of New York. It was when he bullied assembly member Ron Kim and didn't mm -hmm. just bully him, said, if you don't back me up and put out this statement of support saying you agree with what I did, I will destroy you. Guess mm -hmm. what? That never ends well. Mm -hmm. I may destroy you. Doesn't land. It just doesn't. Yep. Doesn't matter where. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've talked about Cuomo being a bit of a bully before. I think another thing that this brings up um, is... You know, I think about all the people that call themselves Cuomosexuals and stuff. And I know that, like, you know, when we have people on the show and we talk to them, we're, we're celebratory. We want it to be, like, a positive place for them to have, you know, to, to tell us what they're doing and what they're working on. We are not, you know— you know, Nora O'Donnell or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, we're, <laughs> we're not adversarial. But at the same time, this whole Cuomo thing has really uh, produced some embarrassing, very recent clips of people claiming, like, fandom of Cuomo because, you know, he was playing a competent governor on TV. And I think it's a really good, like, object lesson on how, you know, even if we really like a politician and we like their personality and we like what they're doing, um, and we think that they've got great ideas and we're really excited about them and we wish them success. We are there's They still work for us. Also, you know? Aaron, it's again, like we are witches because we are always witching. We literally just talked about why you shouldn't stand politicians like a week or two ago. And I know. this is, and like in fairness, look, I'm going to be honest. I was very into the press conferences because we had such an abject failure of leadership at the national level that the only information uh, that some people across the country, but definitely us in New York, uh, were getting were from Cuomo's press conferences. And so he was celebrated because at the time he was like the fucking drink of water in the middle of the desert. Mm -hmm. um, but now he's got some he's got some explaining to do for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I don't want to minimize like any sexual harassment stuff, but I really would love to live in a country where governors are pressured to pressured to resign over policies that harm their constituents uh, en masse, you know, right. by the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of or millions. Um, I, I want I yearn for a day when that is as big a deal as uh, inappropriate workplace behavior. I'm glad that inappropriate workplace behavior is a big deal, but I would like for other stuff to be a big deal as well. Also, let's elect governors who don't ask subordinates to play strip poker. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I also want to say we've talked a lot about uh, Cuomo today, um, but I do think, you know, we would be – there's another politician that's been having a lot oh. of – sexual harassment stuff in the news today. And we would be in remiss if we didn't shout out this wunderkind of creepiness. Um, look, here's the difference between Andrew Cuomo, and I think you can guess who I'm going to talk about, Madison Cawthorn, North Carolina's uh, serial pathological liar of a freshman congressman. 
Um, I don't think anybody serious would say that Andrew Cuomo is the future of the Democratic Party. Nobody serious says that. Andrew Cuomo, for a lot of young voters, young progressive voters, young Democrats, um, Andrew Cuomo kind of represents this old way of doing things. And nobody's looking for the next Andrew Cuomo, you know? Uh, Madison Cawthorn, on the other hand, is looked to as the future of the Republican Party because he looks like a Ken doll and he says Facebook memes. And that's basically all it takes in order to, and he lies a lot and he likes Donald Trump. That's basically all it takes to be the future of the Republican Party. But Madison Cawthorn, um, during his one semester at Patrick Henry College, a conservative Christian college, uh, managed to achieve really impressive feats of sex creepiness. Um, He became known around campus as somebody who um, would take women in his car and attempt to move on them in ways that were aggressive. Um, He had that reputation even before he went to college. Um, And then he dropped out of college after a single semester with a grade grade point average, I think, of Ds. Mm. Um, So he is a real go-getter, that Madison Cawthorn, I think. (laughs) Can I just say for the record just back to Cuomo for a second, that I was Mm -hmm. a Miranda who voted for Cynthia. I voted for Cynthia too. (laughs) I also voted for Cynthia. I didn't vote for Andrew Cuomo, but when he became governor, I was like, well, you know what? Here we go. Yeah. You know, hopefully he will help work. He will work with some people who I agree with more politically. And then I left New York and I was like, I don't have to worry about him anymore. No. Anyway. No. We just need better guys or just replace them with different ones (laughs) just entirely we just need replace the guys okay uh we have two interviews today that i'm really excited for so let's just do quick some quick toast and roast um do you have a roast Alyssa? i have a toast okay here's my toast i would like to toast the employees of the amazon facility in bessemer alabama who are voting on whether or not to unionize as we speak Um, president, yes, presidents, even FDR typically do not intervene in, uh, unionization processes, but Biden, president Biden released a message this week stating every worker should have a free and fair choice to join a union, calling it a vitally important choice that should be made without threat or intimidation by employers. So, you know, I guess not only do I cheers the Amazon employees who are, you know, fighting an uphill battle, Amazon is not being super chill about this, but I also want to cheers Biden because this was Uh, It was a real sort of shot of adrenaline, I think, for organizers down in Alabama. And uh, I really do think that uh, I hope they I hope they pull it off. I think that it'll mean a lot for the union movement and for organizers if they see uh, success today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be great. And the the Biden thing was a pleasant surprise. It was. I was was like, like, oh, let me watch this again. (laughs) This is that's exciting. No, it's it's great to see a president stand with organized labor um, because, you know, we need it now more than ever. So I'm hoping hoping the Amazon workers are able to unionize. uh, That would be great. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we have two interviews with women, both of whom are named Jennifer. And both of whom, both of whom are amazing. And it's not a 1980s movie. No. (laughs) And welcome back. Today, we are so excited to welcome back to Hysteria, Virginia State Senator Jen McClellan. She's a fierce advocate for democratic principles, from protecting voting rights to pushing for legalization of marijuana to reforming the criminal justice system. 
to expanding reproductive health access. And now she's running for governor and hoping to make history along the way as the first black woman ever to do so. Welcome, Senator McClellan. Thank you, Erin Alyssa. Good to be here. Great to have you. So the last time we had you on the pod, you're in the two two hysteria guest appearances club now, which is exciting. Uh, and the last time we had you, <laughs> good. The last time you were on the pod, we asked you if the governor's mansion was potentially in the future, and so we're so excited to see you running. Can you tell us about why you decided to run for governor of Virginia? Yeah, two reasons. I mean, first, as much progress as I've been able to make in the legislature, at the end of the day, the governor sets the agenda through the budget, through the appointments. When the governor makes something a priority, it's much more likely to happen. And so many of the issues I've been fighting on before COVID have now been made worse, whether it's access to childcare, access to healthcare and equity and education. And we need a governor who has a new perspective, but the experience to get things done on day one and who can rebuild our economy, our healthcare and economic safety nets, our education system in a way that builds on the progress we've made, but also leaves no Virginian behind. And, and not only creates a seat at the table for voices and perspectives that haven't been heard, but take the table out into our community. So I'm ready to do that as governor and am excited, uh, very excited about what the, what the future holds. Okay, Jen, as we were prepping to talk to you today, one thing that really stood out was that you recently introduced a bill that would change state laws that criminalize HIV exposure, repealing an existing criminal ban on people living with HIV from donating, selling blood, organs, and tissues, as well as a requirement that people convicted of a certain crime be tested for HIV. It felt really relevant in this climate, this of COVID era attacks on certain groups of people on the rise. How can a bill like this stop society from stereotyping groups of people? Well, first of all, just by ending the stigma of singling out HIV positive people. um, And these laws were put in place um, in the 80s when there was a very different understanding of the science. And they've been counterproductive from a public health perspective. And just putting the bill in forced a conversation that is long overdue about how we stigmatize uh, HIV plus people, especially those of color and and transgender uh, individuals. So uh, very excited that this bill passed. Um, On the topic of equity within the law, another bill you pushed for was marijuana legalization in the state. Uh, Why is marijuana... Why is marijuana legalization important to you and what other reforms need to happen in tandem? And would you like to see a federal legalization of weed? I would like to see federal because no matter what we do at the state level, if you still have the federal prohibition, all of the inequities that come with that continue. Um, This is important because it's clear that that the country is moving in the direction of legalization. And I wanted to be sure it was done right. We have seen in other states where it has not been done equitably. Those people, predominantly black and brown people who have been arrested and incarcerated and the community is devastated as a result, they have they continue to have the stigma of that felony even after legalization. And those communities and those individuals don't benefit from the new business. And so I put in a study resolution last year that, said, that asked our... Um, one of our state agencies, study how other states have done it and make recommendations how we can do it according to some key principles that included criminal justice reform, social equity, um, public health. 
And my interest has been making sure Virginia does it right. Um, We've still got a little ways to go with the bill that we passed, but we're headed in the right direction. If you become governor of Virginia, you would be the first black woman to become governor in the United States. Does that feel daunting or awesome? And do you feel like there is a way to celebrate people who break boundaries without putting an absurd amount of pressure on them? It's both. Um, <laughs> it is it is exciting and thrilling. And I get chills when I think about how, you know, my great grandfather had to take a literacy test and find three white people to vouch for him just to be able to vote. But my great grandmother couldn't. And when I think about everything that my ancestors, even my parents, um, did to be able to vote, to think that I would be the governor in the former capital of the Confederacy, the first woman, is is exciting and exhilarating. And, and particularly because I will bring the life experiences um, and perspectives that have never been represented there. It's daunting because I feel the weight of that. Um, I feel the weight of everyone is watching me, including my daughter, um, and and if I fail, then what does that say? But, um, and knowing that I'm under a different kind of microscope is a bit daunting, but, um, and it's amazing to me, we're still having firsts. Um, after 400 years of Africans and 400 years of women in, in Virginia, we're still having firsts is amazing to me, but uh, I'm, I'm excited and I'm ready to, to break that mm-hmm. glass ceiling. Um, Jen, you mentioned being a mom. Um, and some of our favorite politicians right now are moms, like Representative Katie Porter from uh, California, where I am. And, uh, y- you know, we have uh, Kamala Harris as a stepmom. Do you think there's something about being a mom that informs your politics and makes you a more effective leader? Definitely. And and I did it backwards from most women in that I got elected and then got married and had kids. And so living the experiences of being a working mom while being a policymaker changed my perspective, but also, um, you know, I'm a captive audience. I, I literally, when I became the first woman in the House of Delegates to be pregnant while in office, I was a captive audience for my doctor to talk to me about how abortion laws impact her patients. Then I could tell those stories on the House floor. Um, I'm, I've... As we're debating reopening businesses, you know, I can be the voice saying, what about childcare? Because that's an issue I'm, I'm struggling with. Um, as we're debating when to open schools, I've got two kids, you know, sitting at the kitchen table in public school. I, I'm living the experiences while I'm, I'm, I'm making policy on them. It, and and I can't, it can't help but change your perspective and make policy better. Um, so we like to end on a light note here. So um, what's your favorite thing about your state, Virginia? And in your opinion, what is one of Virginia's hidden gems? Oh, my favorite thing about Virginia, I think now that in the past two years, we've been the first Southern state to do so many amazing things, whether it's proactively protect um, reproductive health, to pass our own Voting Rights Act, to have a 100% clean energy economy, we are really leading the way. And because Virginia has been, you know, on the right side of history is the birthplace of American democracy, on the wrong side of history is the birthplace of the American slave trail and massive resistance, that we are now 
leading in a good way again. I'm very proud of. Um, a hidden gem, our, our natural resources are just gorgeous. I mean, we've got everything from beaches to mountains to, you know, great state parks. I think um, just getting out, you know, natural bridge, just getting out in the beauty of nature in Virginia um, is exciting. And, and everybody should come, come see natural bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what is natural bridge? Tell me about it. So natural bridge is a, a giant, I think it's limestone bridge built just through, um, through erosion over time that, that was discovered by Thomas Jefferson. Um, so it's, it's a gigantic arch, um, that has a highway now going over it. And, uh, Whoa. yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful and, and weird all at the same time. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, Virginia sounds, well, Virginia is beautiful. I've been there before. It was years ago. And uh, can't wait to go back when plane travel is possible once more. Well, come back when I'm inaugurated. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Um, thank you, Jen McClellan, for joining us. And best of luck. We're really excited that you're running for governor. Thank you. Great seeing you guys. And stay safe. Great seeing you, too. You, too. That was Jen McClellan. If you want to support or learn more about Jen McClellan's campaign for governor of Virginia, you can visit her campaign website at jennifermcclellan.com. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We are so excited to welcome Jennifer Carol Foy today. She's a former Virginia delegate and has dedicated her life to serving others, whether that's as a foster mother, a magistrate judge, or a public defender to fighting for trans people's rights. She supported Medicaid expansion and led Virginia's effort to ratify the ERA. Now she's a candidate for Virginia governor. Welcome, Jennifer Carol Foy. Hi, it's an honor to be here with you, Erin and Alyssa. I'm just so super excited. Um, I was looking through your resume, by the way, and I was like, this woman is just a straight up superhero. It's like foster mother, public defender, like, oh my goodness, you've got enough like good deeds to, for, for like five people. Can you tell us about why you decided to run for governor of Virginia? Absolutely. I decided to run for governor uh, really simply uh, because so many Virginians have been left behind due to the broken status quo here. Um, I could tell you that Petersburg, uh, where I grew up, uh, has one of the highest child poverty rates and rates of unaccredited schools in all of Virginia. And that's where I'm from. But luckily, I was raised by my grandparents and especially my grandmother, Mary Lee, a Southern Christian woman who had me in church three whole days a week, who taught oh my gosh. Yes, three, <laughs> uh, who taught me the values that I hold true, that if I have if I have it, I have to give it. And even though we didn't have much, I watched as she gave everything she had, working at Central State Mental Health Hospital, volunteering in our community, even letting people uh, from our church who fell on hard times come live with us until they got back on their feet. So I'll never forget my grandmother had a stroke and became a quadriplegic. And having to decide while sitting at my dining room table with my aunt if we're going to pay for our mortgage that month or for the medications keeping my grandmother alive. And I like to say that is the moment when my journey for governor began. Wow. So Jennifer, Virginia has undergone a major transformation from red to purple to solid blue. Mm-hmm. And with Democrats controlling the levers of power, having now legalized marijuana 
instituted universal background checks, raised the minimum wage, and now recently voting to ban the death penalty. What are the next issues that you'd like to see addressed? So, Alyssa, we have uh, heard our mandates. We were giving our marching orders. And I'm excited to say we've been getting things done in Virginia, which is amazing. And that's why this next election is so important, because we have to keep our majority to continue these progressive wins we've been having, because Republicans are salivating to undo all the great work we've been doing. So I say what's up next is, as the first public defender ever elected to the Virginia General Assembly, is reforming our cash bail system. I could tell you it has single-handedly contributed the most to mass incarceration. And every day I walk into that courtroom and I see people sitting in jail pre-trial simply because they are too poor to pay for their freedom. In Virginia, you are more likely to sit in jail pre-trial if you are Black, poor, and innocent than if you are white, wealthy, and guilty. And that is is not justice, it is not fairness, it is not equality. And so I've taken up this fight, passing bills to prohibit law enforcement officers from using chokeholds so we don't have an Eric Garner situation here in Virginia. I have open public defender's offices so people can get the competent, zealous representation they deserve. Um, and I just happen to believe public defenders are the best. Um, <laughs> and so speaking from personal experience and, you know, just continuing this fight of ensuring that the disinvestments that's been made in the communities that have been hurt and harmed the most by over-policing and our war on drugs, they are reaping the benefits and we are directing policies and budgets that's going to uplift those communities in a real way. Mm-hmm. You know, my brother is a public defender, so I've got a soft spot in my heart oh, for, for people who do that work. Yes. Um, one of the proposed bills that you would push for as governor would be to increase funding for the Virginia Maternal Mortality Review Team. Can you tell us about your personal connection to the issue? Absolutely. So I can tell you that when I was running for delegate, I announced I was running. And uh, then a couple of weeks later, my husband and I became pregnant. So I was pregnant during my entire campaign for a delegate. And when people found out, they told me to drop out. They said I couldn't be a public defender, you know, pregnant with twins, being outraised four to one and flipping a seat from red to blue. But do you know what I what I did? I won that mm-hmm. race. And then <laughs> after I won, I gave birth. But my birth story didn't just end there. It actually began with the fact that I had pain. I had more severe pain than I did when I was in labor. And the nurses, they ignored me. They told me it was normal. They said it was fine. And they sent me home. And one day I dropped to my knees um, and because I was in excruciating pain. And my husband picked me up, put me in the car, and rushed me to the emergency room. And that single effort saved my life. Because they immediately admitted me and said that if I would have stayed home a little while longer, I definitely would have died. And that is the same story that so many other women, uh, especially women of color, share. There is the Black maternal mortality phenomenon that's happening where Black and brown women are four times more likely to die during childbirth than postpartum uh, because we are not seen, we are not believed, and we are not heard. And it's costing Black and brown women our lives. It is Women's History Month. And even before your political career, you made history by being the first woman to graduate from the Virginia Military Institute. If you become governor of Virginia, you'd be the first Black woman to become governor in U.S. history. What are some of the unique challenges and rewards that go along with being the first? And how can we celebrate people who break boundaries without putting an absurd amount of pressure on them? 
That's right. So listen, we're going to say when, when I become governor, that's right. We're going to claim it. We're going to own it. That's right. From your mouth to his ears. And so I say that being the first is significant because representation matters. It's not enough to thank black women for delivering the White House, helping us win Congress. But you also have to support us when we're ready to lead. And now is our time. You know, we have yet to have a black woman lead this great nation, but we have also yet to have a black woman lead any state in this country as well. And so we have an opportunity to be able to address this in a real way, to have a working mom representing working families, a woman who's gone without health care, work minimum wage jobs, who understands the challenges that Virginia families face, because that's what matters. And so I can tell you that it's hard for little girls to be what they can't see. And they have yet to see a natural hair, a black woman with a red lip, you know, be the executive (laughs) of this state. And that must happen. And it must happen now. I can't believe we're having these conversations in 2021. But we need women leading state houses and courthouses. We need us, you know, in every room imaginable. And I can tell you that you know, in the words of Kamala Harris, even though I will be the first, I definitely will make sure that I will not be the last because breaking down berries and blazing trails, it's what I do. As one of the first women to ever graduate from Virginia Military Institute, one of the top military colleges in this country, to being the first public defender ever elected to the Virginia General Assembly, it is very clear that I'm here for a purpose and that's to root out, you know, inequity and unfairness uh, wherever it may lay to ensure that everyone in Virginia's quality of life improves and that we move Virginia forward. That's uh, that's very impressive. And I, I really wish you the best of luck. Um, so we'd like to end on a, on a light note. Yes. What do you love the most about Virginia? And in your opinion, what is one of your state's hidden gems? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I have to say one of the things I love the most about Virginia are the people. You know, the people here in Virginia are some of the the friendliest, most open, most genuine people you ever want to meet. I mean, it's the only place uh, that you can go and you walk into a store and and people just start a conversation with you. And, you know, I had an older woman, you know, walk up to me, and said, you look like you've had a bad day. I'm like, listen, I have two, three year olds. So <laughs> and she just gave me a hug and I'm like, I don't even know who this woman is, but it was great <laughs> and it felt good. And that is just the Virginia way, you know? And so I have to say that is amazing. And we have amazing places to visit, no matter what you're looking for. If you're looking for bustling, you know, urban things to do, you know, we have that. If you want to be in the mountains and hiking and camping, we have that. We have a little bit of something for everyone and we are rich in history. And so as Virginia's number one supporter and hype man, I can tell you that it is the best (laughs) place to be. And so come on and visit us here in Virginia. Well, I will definitely head to Virginia as soon as I can get on an airplane again. I really, really want to not be in the West anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, Jennifer Carol Foy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It was great speaking to you and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for having me. You'll have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. You too. Bye. That was Jennifer Carol Foy. If you want to learn more or if you want to support her bid for governor of Virginia, you can visit her website, jennifercarolfoy.com. That's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-C-A-R-R-O-L-L-F-O-Y.com.
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. We've gotten to the part of the show where Alyssa and I are no longer two or three. We are four. <laughs> that was very like sci-fi. Yeah, we are We are now four. Poetic. The, the two have become four. Uh, I want to bring in the two wonderful women we have joining us today, just so we can get straight to talking about what we're going to talk about. First, she is an actor, performer, writer, gal about town. You can see her in the Unicorn Thursdays at 9.30 p.m. on at Eastern Time on CBS. And if you need to catch up, you can watch season one on Netflix. Hello, Michaela Watkins. Hi, you guys. So lovely to be back. It's great to see you. Missed you all. Everybody has such soothing backgrounds today on our Zooms. <laughs> I see exposed beams. You're, you're giving me exposed beam today. I have exposed beams. Uh, Alyssa has leaded windows. Um, our next guest, I won't give away, but she's got a very serene bedroom. <laughs> and um, Aaron, you are in a wooded, non-disclosed location. That's true. I cannot disclose where I am right now, but everybody <laughs> can probably guess it is Utah once again. I love Utah, and I really am seriously thinking about moving here. Um, I want to introduce number four of the four, last but not least, you... You know and love her. She's Crooked Media's brand marketing editor and writer of her very own newsletter called Shit I Bought and Liked. What's it about? (laughs) 
It's about shit she bought and liked and wants to shout from the rooftops about it because it's that good. You can read about it at shitibouchtandliked.com. Priyanka Arabindi, hello. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you back. You've been on the show like, what, four times now? Five? Yeah. And every time I like absolutely love it and tell Caroline, I'm like, we got to do this more often. It's so much fun. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited uh, for the the topic we're going to talk about today, especially having you on Priyanka and Michaela. I want to hear your thoughts on this, obviously, as well. Um, But Priyanka, I'm going to start with you. Today, we're going to talk about um, how we spend money. And uh, this thought came to me as I was going through my closet the other day and looking at all these dresses that I was like, I bought this because I was like, it's beautiful. I must have it. And I've never worn so many of the clothes that are in my closet. And now I don't know if I ever will. So Priyanka, (laughs) what is the main thing that you kind of look at in retrospect and say, I wasted some money on this? Yeah, I I feel the same way looking at my closet, especially now in pandemic times. I I think I was thinking about this earlier just with our topic. Um, I think it's really easy for me to get suckered into a sale and being like, oh, well, I'm saving money. I should get this. Like it's something, you know, that I wouldn't otherwise, I would maybe eye and be like, oh, that's pretty expensive. But then I end up accumulating like so much shit that I just don't actually love and need. Um, I'm trying to take a, a better approach to it now and and be really thoughtful about what I do need and then fulfilling that need as like things come along and I'm like, oh, okay, like I needed a blazer and this is like a blazer that I really like, not just like willy nilly picking up things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I have a lot of room for improvement. (laughs) (laughs) Michaela, can you think of something that you look back on and say, I spent way too much money on this? Oh yeah. There's so many things because I would purchase things for the person I really wanted to be not the person I was. And so I, uh, would buy like, uh, uh, just an embroidered robe as if I was going to just lounge around my house in my silky embroidered robe and, and could just see myself reading, like just writing or reading a book in a nook. And, uh, (laughs) it was never, it never did happen. It still has the tag on it. And then I got like, I never wanted to wear it also because it was so pretty and it did cost me a pretty penny when I bought it. And so I was preserving it in my closet for, uh, the, the person I never was going to be. So many closet relics. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a real graveyard of all the, um, wonderful personas that will never come to pass. Alyssa, you were nodding really hard there. It's like it's the truest thing ever. I just, well, I'm, I am, I am plagued by two separate, two problems that dovetail. One is that like, I am not a feminine dresser and I try to be, I'm like, you know what? This dress is so pretty. And if I buy it, I'm going to look feminine. And that is not ever going to happen because when I put it on, I look in the mirror and I'm like, you imposter. Um, but that, that is like, I just can't even. But then when I do get something nice, it's like I was raised by a mom, God bless, who when you came home from school, you took off your school clothes <laughs> and you put on your after school clothes. And so 
like all the pretty feminine things are just a sea of school clothes that I don't wear to be comfortable in and always take off immediately upon re-entering my home. So uh, yeah, I have a lot of uh, things, especially in uh, my closet in the city that after COVID I will be doing something with because I understand now. Also, I try to abide the rule one in, one out. Like if I buy a dress, I have to get rid of a dress or if I get a sweater, I should get rid of a sweater and donate it. But uh, it's time. It's time for those silky <laughs> things with slits yeah. to just be gone. I was just it's like, never going to happen. When I have a lover, I, I will break this out. <laughs> I've had a lot of boyfriends and like, it just would have been like, oh God, like they would worry their weird Aunt Jan just showed up. I mean, you know? it would be like the equivalent if, of like your boyfriend showing up to your house wearing like a top hat and tails. You would be like, what are you doing? This isn't the vibe. Um, Priyanka, you, so, so one place that I, when I was thinking about like spending money, wasting money, one place my brain went to was like my kitchen. Um, especially because, you know, during pandemic, we've all been spending a lot more time cooking. Remember when we all discovered how to make sourdough and then we were like, I'm not making any more. I skipped that phase, but yes, I do remember. (laughs) I I partook in the banana bread part. Oh, okay. But that's a little Mm -hmm. bit more practical than sourdough. I think a little bit. I think the kitchen can be a place where we purchase things that are, uh, there's a lot of like money that goes into a nice kitchen. Do you have anything that you, cause I know you cook a lot. Do you have anything that you purchased that you were like, this was a something that I probably didn't need to spend money on. And then I guess the flip side of that, is there some shit you bought and liked in your kitchen? So actually, as, as we've been talking, I know we talked a lot about our closets. I feel a little less like this about my kitchen just because I use my kitchen so often that when I want a new, like, I, I recently got a, a, what is it? Like one of those handheld immersion, immersion blenders. blenders. The best. Yeah. They're, they're pretty cheap. I really like it, but I knew I really wanted it because I had been in my kitchen and been like, I, I'm making a soup like this is I transferring it to my blender, doing all of this is like such a hassle. I kind of became aware of the need and it registered to me so many times. And I feel like that about my kitchen where I'm like a little like, for some reason, I'm le- I'm more hesitant to spend than I would be on clothes. And then I was thinking about this as we were talking, suckered into so many beauty products, mm-hmm. skincare things that I've that's where like I'll sink my money because I feel like it's a combination of marketing. It's a combination of like your own self, but like, oh, I, I need this or like, oh, this will really, um, you know, make my life better. So I feel like in terms of my kitchen purchases and things, I tend to actually be more practical, like where I, I can kind of tend to waste money or feel like I um, like buy things and then have them. And I'm like, this actually no, this wasn't the need that I thought it could be is like the closet and like my bathroom, to be honest. Okay. That's pretty great. Well, let's talk a little bit about frugality. Um, Cause one thing I've noticed during the pandemic is I've found myself becoming more frugal in ways that I wasn't even, I wasn't even aware that there were ways to be frugal. My wasting money was like an unknown unknown. And now it's like a thing that I deliberately try to, to fix. Priyanka, has the pandemic like impacted your the way that you totally, spend money. I think the pandemic, and also, I mean, before even getting into this, I want to acknowledge that like, I have been, I've had a steady job throughout the pandemic. And like, so I, 
I'm coming into this conversation, like being like, yeah, it's impacted my spending, whatever. But like, I, I want to be cognizant of like, my situation is really different than like a lot of people out there. And I'm very thankful and grateful for that. Um, but yeah, the pandemic had like eliminated whole portions of my budget. And like, whereas I was spending before to go to a gym, totally gone. And and I live in Los Angeles. That's an expensive, like it's pretty pricey to like work out here, especially in a city that like really cares about that kind of thing. Um, that whole portion of my budget just gone. Um, definitely like caused me to, to shift a little bit, especially being at home and cooking a lot more um, in the beginning of the pandemic when all of us were being hoarders a little bit. I, I didn't do that with the toilet paper, so I feel okay. But I did do that with like the beans and the frozen food. I remember getting like a, one of those budgeting apps, like a notification, like you have like maxed your grocery budget for this month. And I'm like, Hey, not now. Like we're stocking up. Like you don't understand. I need this. Um, but yeah, I, I started spending more money on, um, restaurants, like delivery and, and takeout, especially as like um, that industry became really impacted and it was some places that I really liked. Like previously I would have, I mean, I went out to dinner, but like looked at stuff like that, like, oh, like that's a luxury. Like I'm going to be pretty mindful about like the ways I'm spending in those, um, just in that respect. And, and was like, oh, okay. Like I have, um, have money to use now can, that I can redirect to this. I also donate and give a lot more and give a lot more like, and cognizant of like, okay, like this is my monthly budget. And like, how do I want to factor in, um, giving, especially while making a steady income? Um, so yeah, the pandemic has certainly like affected, um, some lasting changes, some that like, you know, I hope to reenter the world and I would love to go back to like a, a yoga class or something like that. But I hope some, some of these things do kind of stick like the, the giving and, and things like that. Certainly, yes. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, how about you? Uh, well, guys, I've become a lunatic. Um, <laughs> I Well, for COVID, to Priyanka's point, like to COVID, I lost about 75% of my income last March and it hasn't come back. And while I am married and it does not truly impact the way I live, it impacts the way I spend money. And so I have become the person who not only goes to the grocery store and packs, I have, I have coupons. Okay. I track the coupons. I, I do my groceries. And when we're going through the checkout line, my husband's like, Oh, do you want the, do you want the receipt? Yeah, I want the receipt. I need to see how much I saved today. (laughs) So it's like, there is no greater look in my life. I have had many reasons to feel accomplished, but when I see that I saved $22 at the grocery store, buying only things I needed, that's impressive. I'm like, you know what? At least like, that's my contribution to the household ecosystem, (laughs) you know, it's like, cause that's like, I think that I feel a specific, not anxiety, but I'm like very aware that I used to contribute X amount to the household and now I can't in the same way. So my contribution (laughs) is literally trying to save money and not buy stupid things. And, but I mean, again, I'm always, I'm always taken by a good discount code. So I have ended up with some I have a lot of things in the basement that were like, but they were 25% off and we'll use them. (laughs) (laughs) Michaela, how about you? Um, I think pretty much ditto what Priyanka said. I, I also have had a job, so I've been incredibly grateful, incredibly lucky, but I am, I'm frugal sort of by nature. And, um, 
I, the only thing I bought for myself clothing wise was pajamas in a year, mostly because I know that anything I buy, where, what am I going to do? Where am I going to wear it? And who's going to see it? And, and if I'm buying it now, it's going to be out of fashion probably by the time I can wear it around other people. So I'm just going to wait on that. Uh, anything that I would have done that would have been an extravagance for myself has definitely been redirected to, to charitable organizations uh, and feeling like that sort of off balances. I would like to say that I don't use Amazon, but, you know, I, I just say to myself sometimes like, well... I, I just, there's a pandemic and I need this thing and it's coming and I need, you know. So, uh, so I, 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 you know, I have, I, I do dip in the, in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> in the but zone. <laughs> um, I really feel, I really feel uh, with you, uh, Alyssa, because I love saving money. I love it so much. I think I even mentioned it on here, maybe that I had a boyfriend that when I would buy salmon, I was like, did you see I bought salmon? And he's like, what was it originally marked at? Because I just love to show him all my, all my, like if I bought anything, I was like, guess what it was originally marked at. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but I have this theory, Aaron, that I'm going to, I want to share with you that I wonder if it, how the um, other hosts here feel about this, because I'm working on this and I think I'm right about this. This is what life experience has showed me. Money, money doesn't change people. I don't think money, people say, oh, money changes you. I don't think money changes anybody. I think money makes you more of who you were. You know, I have friends who were, just didn't have two pennies to rub together and would always give you like two of their pennies, you know? And then now they're like huge media moguls and, they will still give you, they still give everything. I, I, they, that has not changed about them. And there are people who were really stingy, you know, and then are also like stupid rich and won't spend all their money that they've made, you know, this lifetime and are so tight with it and so stingy. And, um, I think power changes people. I think people, in good and bad ways. I think that people who are empowered, sometimes people are empowered by having money and that might change them, but it's that power. Like, or you could have no money and still be empowered and still be awful or great, you know? So or feeling empowered even with no money and and use it for good or for evil, you know? So so I, I think like money is this like sort of magnifier of, it just makes people more of what they are. Or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've, I've known people who, you know, maybe grew up not with very much money. And then when they have a job that pays modestly well, are not very good at managing their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was among one of those people. The first time I had a job that paid me so that I could live I'm, when I say comfortably in New York, I don't mean like I, my building had an elevator. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like I lived by myself and I never was worried at the end of the month that I wasn't going to be able to pay my rent. That is what I consider comfortable, not, mm-hmm. not, not worrying. And, uh, I remember like fee- for, there was like a couple years where I was spending more money than I needed to just because I had it. Mm-hmm. I had never had it before. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, you know, p- things come and go, especially money. And if once you start tying in your sense of self-worth with how much money you make, that's just a recipe. That's, that's even stupider than tying in your sense of self-worth with your physical looks, because mm-hmm. it's like, that's, that's going to go away. Like mm-hmm. it's almost certainly going to go away. unless you're Jane Fonda, <laughs> that's going to, it's going to go away. 
Um, but Michaela, I think that's a really good point about it, like changing, not changing people, but just magnifying people. Um, Priyanka, I'm curious, since you're somebody who writes about like being, being a consumer, yeah. like, purchasing things, um, are, do you ever find yourself being judgmental of other people's consumer behavior? I mean, like we're in pandemic times. This is a real judgmental time. Um, yeah. have you found yourself judging that specific aspect? A little bit. I think I'm, I'm trying to be a little less judgmental towards others and myself about how we're handling our money and what we're kind of doing, what we choose to do with it, almost like what you're choosing to do with your time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, we're also, it's also difficult because we're at the stage of the pandemic where we're not all locked at home, where everyone is doing the same exact thing. Like there are people who are, and now there are people who are vaccinated. So that's like wonderful, fantastic that that's happening. But there are people who are living like different degrees of, of normal life. Um, and then that combined with, I think, money and like what it can, can allow you to do, like what you can buy, I think like looking at people. And also this is like a comparison thing, which I'm, I'm very guilty of. And I think is a big money thing, especially for, um, maybe not so much if you're older and wiser and, and out of it, but it is certainly like a phase of life that I'm still in where you are looking at your peers and are like, oh, um, they're able to spend on this or they're able, I think relocating during a pandemic is like another thing where you're like, oh, like that's really nice. I don't know if I would be able to do that, but I see peers and friends and whatnot. And that's like a, a, a place where I don't think I get judgmental so much as I kind of am like, oh, like I, that's something I wish I would, I was able to do. And I right. think like, how did they do that? Like how, how did that yeah. work out? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point because I think that like for, for us, like we've been able to, we've, we've driven places. We haven't like gotten on airplanes and traveled anywhere, but we've driven to Utah like five times and stayed in a cabin and not talked to anybody. Um, but you know, the reason we're able to do that is because we don't go out to eat anymore. We don't go to bars. We don't get, you know, neither of us commutes anywhere. We don't like, so all of this stuff we normally would be spending, we're like, we're going to spend that money instead on this kind of sanity saving thing. Yeah. And I think that's why judgment around money also is something that I, I try to like stop myself before I do, because like I might see Aaron on Instagram in Utah, but I don't like see all the sacrifices that you're making or any like places where you're changing your spending to mm-hmm. be able to do that and, and want to. And like, sure, there are some people who don't have to make any adjustments and can do that. And that is fantastic. I don't think that's like a bad thing and wonderful to want if that's something that you want for yourself financially. But, Mm -hmm. um, that's what I mean. Like when I look at those things, I also am like, Hey, like there are places that I'm spending that I think are important and that I'm like deeming that way for myself that Mm -hmm. make it that not feasible for me. And if I want to readjust my priorities, I can, is that like, you know, there's some degree that like, no, like, will I be able to like rent another home for a full month? Like that's, that's not going to be feasible for me. Mm-hmm. But like, if I wanted to reprioritize, I could, I think even this conversation like made me revisit my, or like knowing that we were going to have it made me revisit the Google sheet that I have that I just try to do my budget. And like, <laughs> this is like what I definitely know I'm going to be bringing home, which you can do if you have mm-hmm. like a, 
I'm a horny regular for job. Yeah, <laughs> Michaela is horny for budgets, <laughs> and then I we just we just got the episode title, horny for budgets. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I, the judgment is is tough because you also just don't know what every. If you know every side of the of the coin, sure, go for it, I guess. But right. you don't. Well, yeah, you just can't. You don't get to see other people's credit card statements. They could be making wildly dumb decisions. Yeah. Um, I, Alyssa, I want to ask you this next question, and also Michaela, because you mentioned Sex in the City. So I've been thinking about like you know, money judgment. I think I tend to feel judgmental when it seems like someone is living beyond their means. And like bragging about it because I'm like, that's a bad example, <laughs> you know, like that people shouldn't feel pressured to live this life of like luxury, whatever. But, you know, I think a lot about this one Sex in the City episode. Um, like I think about it a lot. And Michaela is nodding because she knows which one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And that is the episode where Carrie Bradshaw, uh, her apartment is going condo. And she has to purchase her apartment if she wants to stay in the building. But she spent all of her money on clothes, so she doesn't have money for a down payment. Um, And so she goes to her friends. She goes to her friends, uh, Charlotte York, who has recently become, I think she's just recently divorced from a very Mm -hmm. rich man. And she has this windfall of cash. And she expects Charlotte to loan her the money to make a down payment on her apartment. And Charlotte won't do it. Well, everybody offers the, the gals offer, you oh, know, right, Miranda right. does, Samantha does, and Charlotte is noticeably quiet. Yes. Sure. <laughs> yes. So, Alyssa, I want to know what you make about, A, that episode in particular, and B, um, bailing out friends who did live beyond their means or asking for help if you get into an emergency situation from your friends. That uh, that episode, oh, that episode has been with me for so many years right? from when I wanted to justify only having $700 in my savings account, right? When Carrie's like, I was like, that's all Carrie's got and she writes for Vogue. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> she's, she's got the most ridiculous writing job in the world. I've been a writer for 10 years and never once have I even come close to a pro, like, Good God. Anyway. It, no. And so, um, but when she asks for the money, I hate Okay, I hate that scene in Sex in the City equal only to the scene in Sex in the City, the first movie where she and Miranda get in the fight on Valentine's Day. I can't watch it. It makes me so upset. I feel it coming and I hate it. Mm-hmm. But she should not have done that to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. That was not right. You can't do that. When it comes to money, sometimes you just got to put it out there and see what comes back to you and like not press the issue because you don't know. Um But like I have had friends who needed to, who were in a tough spot before. And because I was at a time in my life where I could, I just gave it to them. I didn't want it back. Like, Mm -hmm. because they were so stressed that the idea of paying back to me when I, I, it was okay, I could do it was good. Um, But, you know, it's tough, man. Friends and money is a tough, it's tough deal. It's thorny. It's thorny. I it's feel thorny, like, not horny. Like you, like Michaela yeah. is for budgets. <laughs> uh, yes, Michaela is horny. This is thorny. Michaela, what is your thought <laughs> on budgets like budgets are like my video game? It's like if you say <laughs> you can't go over this limit, I'm like, ooh, yeah. Like I, they make you, you know. feel so much better. I yeah. like. I felt so much better after doing that. Anyone listening to this, like. It's, it's just nice. To, it makes you feel empowered. But yes, continue. <laughs> okay, fine, guys. I'll do it. I do get the like every month thing that's like, here's what you spent money on. Because I do this thing where I put everything on a credit card all month mm-hmm. and I pay it off 
at the end of the month. Right. And it's like a reward card where I get like 10% cash or 5% cash back or something. So it's like, why not? Um, but I got a report and I'm always like, okay, that was my budget, but maybe I should be more proactive about it. <laughs> um, Michaela, what, what are your thoughts on friends and friends and money, like helping each other, well, getting help? My advice to anybody is I, I have a few things of advice. Um, one, don't, uh, don't co-sign anything with a boyfriend you're living with ever, uh, ever. <laughs> like you are in love, you're cohabitating for the first time. They don't have a great credit report, credit rating. And so they ask if you would co-sign a car or put the car in your name. Maybe you could co-sign, I don't know. Just don't put anything in your name over a boyfriend until like you really know them. That's my first um or girlfriend. That's my first uh, point of business. <laughs> but uh, secondly, uh, like Alyssa said, you don't loan money to a friend unless you are giving money to a friend. Like there is no loans to friends. If you loan to a friend, you're changing the dynamic of your friendship. Um, there's this notion that they're feeling like they are, that you're waiting for them to give it back or something like that. Um, I, I have a friend who... I just, I, with, she doesn't ask, I just give it to her. And I learned that from a friend of mine who, who um, when I moved to LA and I had a boyfriend who, uh, guess what? Spent all my money and lied to me about it. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the stories. Aaron, was, that, was that Shakespeare Festival or was that a different Yeah, one? that's Shakespeare Festival. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Shakespeare Festival did that. So- so I had a friend who, without asking, I, I mean, I was really like scared. I was very scared because I had been saving up to move here and then found out I had no money. Um, and uh, so moving to a city, I don't know anybody. I have a friend who sent me a check for a thousand dollars, a thousand at that time. I was like, oh my God, I put it on my cork board and I said, my goal is to never have to cash that. And I will do everything I can not to have to cash that. But knowing it was there, sitting on my corkboard as a cushion meant so much to me. It was huge. It was the kindest gesture ever. And I never cashed it. Hmm. And, and, and I, I couldn't believe it. Um, it was like, it was almost like motivation, you know? And so, but, but then I've had friends who, uh, you know, when I've, you know, been flush. I'm like here. And, and, and that's great too. It's good to like help other people out. The problem is if somebody feels entitled because they see that you're working and they're like, that's why I think that that is so icky what she did to Charlotte, because Charlotte, it's not Charlotte's job to, to take care of her. Um, if Charlotte wants to, that's one thing, but you, but I would never expect a friend to have to pony up to me. You know, I don't know what their situation is. I don't know who they're taking care of. Like, I don't know if they're taking care of a sick mom or this or that. I don't know what anybody's situation is. You know, you, you don't know see. if she couldn't become a docent at the museum. You don't know. You don't know. She was going to have to spend a lot on fertility. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, that's, those, that that's that's in terms of judgment. That's where I I say you know. And the other thing here's the other judgment I make. Okay, um, you you know I think if you want to splurge on something like oh I'm gonna live in my car and I'm gonna get heated seats, you know that's a splurge. Great. Okay, but if you get a statement bag that could put a kid through college, fuck you. 
Like that, I do judge you. <laughs> I judge you. And I'm yeah. not ashamed to say it. Oh, yeah. Like I get guillotine <laughs> gifts in my head when I read about like Birkin bags made into sandals that cost $7,500, which <laughs> uh, Kylie Jenner apparently got. And I only know that because I was forced to learn it. I do not. And I when go I out hear- of my way. About yeah, like 16 year olds in New York City that are like, my daughter wants a Birkin bag for her for Christmas. It's like uh, you tell your 14 year old daughter to go fuck herself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, your daughter should invest that Birkin bag money in a school mm-hmm. in a place that needs infrastructure support. And she doesn't get to fly out there and do tourist helping. She just give, give them the money. Give other people that money. Yeah. Um, Priyanka, have you ever tried to combine like money and friendship or have you ever had like an awkward friend situation from someone borrowing or? So no, not um, with borrowing. I think something that like has, has come up in my friendships, especially in my stage of life is like various degrees of being open about money. And I think that like, especially for women is a whole different thing, but um, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of like feeling, I think in general, like, money tends to cause as a topic, as a concept tends to make me a little bit anxious purchasing, like even little things sometimes just like makes me like, which is like really like not, it shouldn't little things, especially like expenses, like my groceries and things like that. Like you need that to survive. And I, it's not like I'm not making some amount of money so I can do that. Mm. Um, but I think I'm, I have been really guilty of, of, not being open before with friends, like as we are, especially like my group of friends, like as we went from college to like into the job market and um, vastly different jobs. I think comparing your salaries and things like that can, I think it kind of depends on like, if you're going in from like, I'm curious because like we can be helping each other perspective or it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm being nosy and this is like only just because I want to play the comparison game and I don't know. I think it can can mm-hmm. be weird like that, but I've been guilty of being like, ah, like I want to keep this close to myself because I feel anxious about it. And and that's, I don't know. I don't think I was helping myself or anybody in that process. So I think the way that like, um, you know, money has changed my friendships and my friendships with people that I work with too. It's just like my previous resistance to to being open about it and sharing when it really could have helped us both because I thought for some reason that like, keeping it to myself or like not talking about like budgeting or how we were saving or if we were investing and whatnot was like, I don't know, for some reason, like protecting myself rather than, you know, like all of us benefiting from the same Mm -hmm. thing. I think that's a thing that I've over tried to overcome a little bit. Right. Like money shame is a real thing. And it's sometimes shame based on nothing. It's like we've decided it's a private thing and it's everyone has a right to keep it private if they want. But like, I think that if you just sit back and examine, like, why do I feel like this needs to be private? Do I feel guilty about making too much? Do I feel embarrassed about making too little? Do I feel like I should be making more because I should be further in my career? Do you think I should be making less because I have imposter syndrome? Like there's all of these things around it. But I think ultimately um, people being open, I think, about budgeting or saying I can't afford that or, uh, you know, I remember being like in college and my girlfriends wanting to go on a spring break trip. I mean, I went to a college with a bunch of rich kids and you know, they can't help that their parents have money, but they also had this assumption that they, that, yeah, we, of course we can go to Puerto Vallarta for a week. That's Mm -hmm. easy. I have that. I can just do that. Mm -hmm. And like, I didn't have the money to do that. And, you know, 
I think it would have been better if I would have just been like, instead of like stretching myself financially to keep up with him, it would have been better if I was just like, I, I guys, I can't afford that. My mom's a teacher. What the fuck do you think? What? How much do you think teachers make? You know, I'm going to a private university. How much do you think teachers make? Mm. Um, I think that that like openness can kind of lead to less shame for the person that's saying no. And also like saying no leads to a lot less headaches down the line. Like, you know what I mean? Like I no, I can't go to this expensive restaurant because I have to pay my rent this month and it's either go to this restaurant or pay the rent and go grocery shopping. Yeah. I think as long as you don't feel like turn yourself into a victim over it. And I think Mm -hmm. that was one of the things I had to learn was like, I, I mean, I always was struggling up until a certain point and then I wasn't. And, um, and I have friends who just live in the scarcity mindset. And so it's like, um, I mean, I didn't have money, but if I couldn't do something, I, I would either stretch myself and do it anyway and really pay the price, or, um, I would not do it, but I wouldn't be like, I'm poor. I'm mad. I'm, you know, it was just like, I just accepted that about me, you know? And Mm. I, I think what is sometimes challenging is like, I would see in myself or see in friends, like those times where you would just really want to throw yourself a pity party. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like there's Mm -hmm. no, there's no shame in not being able to do something. It just means you can't, and it sucks. It's a bummer, but there's no shame in it. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't sit there and throw yourself a pity party over the fact that you can't, you can't, that's just, you can't. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Alyssa, do you have anything to add? (laughs) No, I was just like, I just grew up in the town I grew up in, uh, nobody was super flashy or fancy. And I, there wasn't like a ton of like, there might've been different kinds of judgment, but I don't recall growing up with like classism as much. And so one of the girls asked me, they're like, well, like who was the richest person in your town? I was like the richest person in my town. Like, I think it was the equine veterinarian. (laughs) And so it was the veterinarian in my town too. I think it was the vet. Come on. It's like the large animal vet. And so I was like, oh my God. Like, and I call my girlfriend who was at SUNY Binghamton. I was like, boo, do you like remember who's the richest person in our town? She's like, wouldn't it have been the mountains? The vets. I was like, yeah, right. And it was just, uh, it was not a, uh, it wasn't, you know, we all drove our parents really old, really old cars. Like nobody got like a new car for their birthday or anything like that. And so when I went to college and people came back and they're like, I went home to Long Island and I got this Pathfinder because it was 1994. I got this Pathfinder for my birthday. I was like, fuck, that's crazy. They got cars for their birthdays. And so I'm glad that I have not changed. I still think that's wild. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, Getting a car for your birthday, that is, wow, that's crazy. Okay, well, we have to wrap up this conversation, but I want to end it on a a fun note, I guess. One thing that is like, okay, so let's say that you had a million dollars and you can't spend it on charity. You have to spend it on yourself. If you had just like somebody handed it to you and they're like, you have to spend it today, a million dollars, how would you spend it? Oh, wow. I'd buy a house. That's yeah, it. same. Oh. Easy. Easy. I'd buy a <laughs> yeah, house in LA. I... <laughs> I'd buy land in like New Zealand or something. 
everyone's going to go to, New- I want to go to New Zealand too. <laughs> New Zealand. Our Prime Minister Ardern is really making it seem uh, like a really place. mixing it up. Yeah. Yeah. Alyssa, million dollars, what do you do? Million dollars. I would turn our red barn on our property into a place where I make jam and also a cat sanctuary. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's what I would do. And I want you to know that when David listens to this podcast, he'll be like, that sounds right. You've said something like that before. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I'm, I, everybody give her a million dollars. <laughs> Cat sanctuary. So you'd have like the mean ones that nobody wants. They're like the real the, fucked up ones. The ones can, that, the, the ones the that are like the meanest, jam. the meanest cat in the world. It's like a cat with crosses for eyes. <laughs> I mean, you guys, my cat Midge has no teeth. Wow. That's, and he uh, loves my jam. Exactly. So that's what I would do. Okay. So Michaela would give Alyssa the million dollars. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I want to go there. I don't want to go. New, that is my New Zealand. Okay. Priyanka and I would both buy houses. We can be yeah. neighbors. I would, I would, Love that. I'd be a, totally be a neighbor with you. I will that would be so we everybody. can share books and baked goods. That would be oh, very fun for both of us. That would be a really symbiotic relationship. I, like I would. It. I would love that. Um, Michaela and Priyanka, stick around. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I feel petty. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Welcome back. We are almost at the end of the show, but not all the way at the end of the show. Um, it is, I feel petty. We don't have any housekeeping this week. So that means the house is spotless. It is <laughs> neat as a pin. We are going to just get right into it. I will start with my I feel petty. Um, this isn't really a I feel petty as much as it is a product suggestion. I'm offering it to f- for free to any product developers. I think all candy, all candy should have vitamins in it. Put vitamins in the candy. Like mm. I have, I take Ooh. a vitamin that is gummy. I take like, and it tastes really good. You can't, you can't taste that there's vitamins in the gummy. It's mm. not like weed gummies where it's like, oh, this is a good gummy, but I, there's a, there's you a smack. Yeah. There's a smack of pot in this. No, <laughs> vitamin gummies don't have like a vitamin taste to them. Like you can, you can, t- you, it's good. So why not put some extra vitamin D in M&Ms? Why not? Put some vitamin B12 or whatever in uh, like, well, you know, those hard candies that grandmas have, the the, the caramel ones. Grandmas Werther's, and, Werther's. Yeah, Werther's, grandmas and me are the main purchasers of that. Uh, just I put vitamins that. in it. Why not? Why not? Why not? Put some iodine in, uh, I don't know, put some iodized salt on the salted caramels, you know? Like, be, be, let's combine it, you know? it's. Yeah. I feel the put same way w- about, oh, go ahead. Add, add to it, weed, some cocaine. um candy already kind of gives me a little bit of a child's hyperactive charge and so an upper two it does not need to be oh okay i went too far but yeah but you know i also i also believe in like you know um 
a Bloody Mary is basically alcohol soup. You know, why, why not add alcohol to to ice cream? Like, why not add, like, I think food should have pulled double duty when they can either Mm -hmm. for good by adding Mm -hmm. vitamins to it or for, you know, the purposes of vice adding weed or alcohol to them. Um, Alyssa, Alyssa, fully agree. Prune cocktails. Prune cocktails. Prune cocktails. I (laughs) love prunes. Me too. I just ordered a bag of dried ones Oh, Yes. Okay, so I I bet somewhere so we are we are like four different ages here. We're four different uh, decades of ages here, I think, among the four of us. And I feel like the the prune line is somewhere between me and Alyssa. I'm about to like age past the prune line. You and hit then prunes I'm, at forty. I'm gonna hit prunes in yeah. in a few years. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty Priyanka. You've got like thirteen years left. I've turned to them in moments of need. Um, I I find myself when I get anxious. Um, you know, I'm like, I, I could use a prune. Maybe this could help. They haven't been the most helpful in the world yet, uh, but I have turned to them in situations where I'm like, I'm, I'm a little nervous and that's making things a little difficult. If you yeah, know so what I mean. Yeah, so prune is a natural double duty food. It yeah. does something else besides what just a thing that you eat. So right. yeah, I'm, I, I'm theoretically Very good for you. And I think Very prune- good for you. You need to eat a couple and there has to be a, a lot of water accompanied with it. And it, it actually, it's okay. This, I was yeah. eating like one and I was like, okay, why no, no, you need like five or six, five or six. <laughs> well, you know how like, there's like, when, you, when you're pregnant, you're like, your baby is the size of a yam. Your baby is the size of a small coconut, whatever. I, I think that that should continue and be like, you're in your 40s. You like radishes and you like and you like I prunes. would die. You have somehow no longer hate radishes. You're into prunes. And what else? Uh, Metamucil? I don't even know. You know what, Michaela? I was thinking that that was going to go in a different direction because I was talking to my sister this week and I was like, it's weird that the, it's like fruits. You're mm-hmm. cute things. It's like the cutest possible thing. Mm-hmm. Why not something like, why not yeah. like vice compare? Like your baby's the size of a Adderall. Your ba- <laughs> Instead, your it's a lima bean. <laughs> your baby's the size of a pack of cigarettes. Your baby's the size of a shot glass. Is a medium-sized, perfectly si- organized dick. <laughs> <laughs> your baby's the size. That's, that's yeah, disgusting. I mean, that's, you went too far. That's I'm sorry. You went too far. <laughs> Horny for budgets <laughs> went too far. <laughs> um, Priyanka, you want to go next? Sure. Um, this is not uh, on its face very petty, but perhaps using my employer-sponsored platform via this podcast to do it might be a little bit. But I want to, on the heels of our conversation and some of my like past regrets about my own attitude about money, if you are a coworker or a friend of mine, I don't know how comfortable I feel doing this with people I don't quite know. Maybe I'll get there. But if you want to have a conversation about money, please, I'm open to it. Let's do it. Just hit me on Slack or DM or text or whatever and just be like, hey, we should FaceTime soon and let's do it. I think it will I make love that. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I haven't been as open to it as That's I should how have you been get in the pay past. Parody. Yeah, and and I am. So let's do it. If you want to, I am down to talk about it. That's the most positive I feel petty we've ever ever most ever ever. That is just the most just an injection of positivity. Well, like let it be known that I am doing this on a podcast that my my employer makes. But uh, (laughs) that's the petty part of it. But like I don't know. I don't. I don't really think I can get called on that. So I think I I feel above because of this. I feel beyond reproach. I'm for it. I'm for it. Um, Alyssa, maybe invite all the men at 
you know, to step forward and go, hey, guys, just say how much you make. <laughs> hey, bosses, executives, every new hire, you're or, or down to do it too. Just Let's all do the it. guys, like all the guys, just say how much you make. As the former chief operating officer of a company, I have gut pains right now. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah, it's like there's that spreadsheet a few years ago where it showed like how much like people were making in media yeah. companies. And it was like, wild. Oh, man. Yeah. But years of experience, they would do like race to your job title, where you were located. It was like a very extensive spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. whoa. <laughs> that was, that was pretty crazy. I mean, I, I kind of had a sense of like how high the high end was just cause I knew people who were making around the high end, but it was one of those things where it's like, we don't want the people like they didn't want the people at the bottom to know. The, yeah. Like, like fucking- we can't, we can't have them know that actually like we are paying them so little. Like, oh my I think God. it's the, the wildest was, thing. I think this- they know. Dude, this place that is now a defunct media outlet was paying one of its like executives, not even the top one. It was like $400,000. Like that's lawyer money. And it, like it was, cr- it wasn't even a very good publication. Anyway, um, Alyssa, do you want to go next? I do. Uh, let's see. I feel petty about headlights car headlights. I really think that there should be a standard for how bright headlights can be. Thank you to my over 45 brethren, because (laughs) it is like all of a sudden. So first, also upstate, not only do you have like the headlight issue, but then there are the trucks with the top lights, you know, the Mm -hmm. ones that are meant to terrorize you in a lifetime movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can't stand it. And they should all be the same. Some are like bright blue and it's like, it's blinding and it feels very threatening when they're behind you. Like it really, really stresses me out. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that we should all have to have the same level. We can't have this arms race of headlights where we're like, who can have the brightest, most intense headlights? Because it's, it's honestly, if you guys ever see a blue Subaru with a lot of bumper stickers, just pulling off to the shoulder to let the bright lights pass. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) How about brake lights? Have you driven behind a Cadillac SUV before? Yes. Their whole back of their car is a brake light. And when they brake, I'm like, oh, (laughs) you're like, exactly. You're like, are those their hazard lights? Like what is happening? It should be standard. It needs to be more standard. It It really, uh, it really impacts my driving experience. And also when you're driving in the country at night, like you want to look at the moon and the stars a little bit too. You don't want it to be like Times Square car going by you, you know? That's exactly correct. Yeah. It's like yeah. Times Square. I do yeah. the passive aggressive thing where I on purpose slow down if someone is riding my ass with their brights on. I will slow down and like make it tough for them. It's like <laughs> I, they can't help that their their lights are that bright, but they can help that they're that close to me. I don't know. That's petty, I, I, I agree. That's like an optim that's like a nice that's like a better way to look at it. I do think that people are, are should feel bad about their lights. <laughs> they yeah, they should. They should. It's the arms race thing reminds me of that that onion piece that was like suburban mom uh, in SUV hopes that her car kills the people, the other people in the accident or something like that. Yes. It was like it was like a woman just who just wants a car that's big enough that the other people will die and not her. It was <laughs> pretty funny. Um, OK, um, Michaela, you want to yeah. bring us home? OK, Um one, just to preface this, if you come to my house, you will see two cookbooks that are, have food poured all over them that are just like mealy and messy with dog-eared and little bookmarks in it. And both of them have Gwyneth Paltrow's 
beautiful face planted on the front of them. And I'm not ashamed to say that I used the Christ out of those cookbooks, okay? <laughs> one's called, it's just so simple. The other one's called so easy or something. And she's not wrong. They're simple. They're pretty easy. They're very healthy. I really love them. But I want to kick her ass right now <laughs> because I just happened to dip into Twitter as something and saw like some quotes of hers. And I don't hope I'm not take, doing that thing where I take something out of context without fully reading what it's about. But I have, there's a real epidemic right now where I have friends with 10, 11, 12, 13 year old daughters who are all have eating disorders. They're all at some version of anorexic. And it's, it's probably because, you know, they woke up last year and the world went upside down and then they woke up this year and our shaky government could, was collapsing before their eyes and being taken over by crazy people. So I, I think that they have a, a lot of, you know, problems. But I also think TikTok, Zoom, staring at their faces all the time is not adding to it. And when you have this lovely woman who is preaching to the wellness community about... um how to be clean and healthy and, you know, naturey. I don't understand. I, I was just reading these headlines about how she was saying that COVID made her gain weight and she's doing this fasting and it was all so weight centric. Uh, and you can't be Gwyneth Paltrow and talk about how, talk about being overweight. And she was specifying 11 pounds, like that kind of fixation on 11 the number 11, which you know bothered her. Like she's so aware of her weight. And I just thought, how is this your messaging? And and then talking about fasting to lose weight. I mean, if you want to, I know there's benefits to fasting that people talk about, you know, resetting gastrointestinal, whatever. But to lose weight right now and being so tone deaf to what kids are doing and just seeing so explicitly where this, bad, shitty messaging is coming from. I just got so angry and so over it and felt like you just became a, a fraud in my eyes. You know, there's, if they said that, believe me, if they said that COVID makes you fat, you know, everybody in LA would be wearing a mask and we would have like a negative COVID <laughs> population. We right would have, we would like, invented a cure for it. Seriously. Like people would, you know, uh, get COVID and then be kicked out. Like, get out of here. You're going to make me fat. Streets would be empty. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those things that like, think about before you say it, think mm -hmm. what is the upside of this? Mm -hmm. And then what is the downside? And the downside for the upside is like uh, other skinny women who feel fat sometimes like also feel like they have a companion. But it's like mm -hmm. the downside is like kids are hearing you talk like this and like exactly what you said, Michaela. It's one of those. It's a downside. It's a downside net. I mean, her upside is selling you her book. Like that's mm -hmm. what she's trying to do because she like knows that other people might feel this way. And like it's the same like preying on people. It's really yeah. upsetting. It's Dude, upsetting. It makes you angry, honestly. The biggest lie about the whole fitness and dieting industry is that you can control everything about your weight. So mm -hmm. much of it is completely out of your control. Mm -hmm. Like so much of it. And like to pretend that like Gwyneth Paltrow isn't thin and beautiful because she tried really hard. She is rich. And so she mm -hmm. was able to take the jeans she was, ha she was handed and, mm -hmm. you know, live 
on whatever whatever was available, she was able to buy for herself. Fine. Yeah, she can go to Air One and get whatever she wants. Exactly. I haven't been there yet, by the way. I'm terrified. Um, but like she but the thing is, like, most of that was not in her control. Like, mm-hmm. you can only control a small amount of it. And it's such a fucking lie. It's a billion dollar lie that somebody who, you know, is just an average looking woman in, mm-hmm. you know, Texas. But what I want to say to her is, no, it's not that COVID didn't make you gain weight. You're of an age where you gain weight and don't yeah. make it bad. We do right. that. We gain weight. Our bodies shift. They change. And you, that's what happened to you, honey, because you're still a living, breathing organism just like everybody else who ages. Well, Detective Gwyneth Paltrow is going to get to the bottom of this very obvious mystery, which is like, <laughs> <laughs> you're, oh. yeah, I, I relate to that one pretty hard, Michaela. I think that's very damaging. People shouldn't be talking about that shit. Mm. Not, not when little kids, not, not when anybody can hear it. No. And if, and, and if you're in the wellness community, then you must know what's going on with, with young women right now. It's bad really yeah. bad. Yeah. Well, that'll definitely be a topic for a future show. And hopefully we can get somebody who's actually like, a, a te- maybe we can find a teen. We can locate a teen <laughs> to have on the show to like, it, to bring us up to speed on that. Um, Michaela Watkins and Priyanka Arabindi, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a super fun conversation. Thank so you, fun. Alyssa, my ride Bye. or die. What would I do without you? Oh, what know. would I do without you? I don't know what I would do. It'd be terrible. Um, <laughs> Jennifer Carol Foy and Jen McClellan, thank you both for joining me. And thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. I am from another planet. This nation Janet. But these girls got a fan it. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmelconian and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. 